Hello, and welcome to Boston Private Perspectives. I'm Shannon Sakosha, Chief Investment Officer at Boston Private. As we move into the summer months, we will continue to share our thoughts and views through this podcast series, and we appreciate you joining us today. Heightened anxiety and a general feeling of uncertainty have been the hallmarks of the last several months, and we understand that you have a lot to be concerned about. We are here to try to provide relevant information on how what's happening in the markets and the economy may impact you, your family, or your business in the coming months. In last week's episode, we discussed the outlook for technology stocks as we move into a new phase of this market cycle. This week, we examine the impact that the recent escalation of tensions with China could have on your portfolio and the global economy at large. While a lot has certainly happened since the United States and China finalized the phase one trade deal to close out 2019, the tensions that have flared more recently are both similar and different to those issues we spent much of 2018 and 2019 discussing. Rewinding the video back to early 2018, the U.S. was coming off the package of tax cuts designed to create a more supportive environment for the U.S. economy to break out of its low growth trend and hit escape velocity. There was excitement in the equity markets that the lower corporate tax rate would allow for investment in innovation and increase productivity and production, and that companies would be able to focus more on accelerating the top line versus protecting the bottom line. But tax policy wasn't the only priority the Trump administration came into 2018 focusing on. And so with the tax question settled, a pivot to trade policy occurred almost immediately. While it wasn't surprising necessarily to see the administration take up trade, as it had been one of the top campaign priorities for President Trump, the escalation of tensions with China that started with just a few tariffs and then increased to a crescendo with expectation of levies on all Chinese imports by late 2019, really diluted the positive impact that could have been delivered by those tax cuts. Companies who either bought goods from China, including both finished goods and inputs, as well as companies that sold to the Chinese consumer faced clouds of uncertainty, and as a result, did not focus on growth as the tax cuts intended but rather on insulating their businesses against this uncertainty. China was also facing its own domestic crisis, as protests in Hong Kong demanded political leaders' attention. The concerns of the Chinese government were that this unrest in Hong Kong could endanger the important relationship China has with Hong Kong, which acts as a major financial and trading center within Asia, as well as creating unwanted scrutiny of the treatment of Hong Kong citizens by foreign governments. So if we fast forward to the end of 2020, we had the phase one trade deal and a stabilized situation in Hong Kong. And so it appeared that these headwinds would reverse and become tailwinds for this year. This reacceleration in the global economy, which we expected to occur, was in large part attributable to an improvement in this relationship and a new set of expectations as companies would once again be able to focus on growth. After the coronavirus outbreak, however, U.S. companies were once again forced to assess the impact to their supply chains and sales of a disruption in China, albeit this one caused by a global pandemic rather than by efforts of politicians to right any wrongs that they felt from inequitable trade policy. Add in a growing distrust between China and the U.S. around the initial source of COVID-19 and indications that China may have understated the impact 
This relationship was certainly feeling like it had cooled over the course of March and April, but not to an extent where investors felt like it represented a significant risk. Fast forward through the last few weeks, and the situation has changed rather quickly. One of the biggest challenges has been the re-escalation of tensions between Hong Kong and China. The issue at hand here is that this new legislation that is being affected in Hong Kong essentially limits the rights of citizens to protest the Chinese government. As I mentioned earlier, while the climate of protests had subsided modestly in Hong Kong late last year, the rapid coronavirus response and lockdown measures put the protests on pause completely. With these new laws in place, Hong Kong residents will be subject to similar restrictions on speech as mainland Chinese, which is a departure from the way Hong Kong has been structured since it was transferred from British rule in 1997 under the One Country, Two Systems Edict. And this structure is supposed to be in place through 2047 and has allowed countries such as the U.S. the ability to apply different rules in their trading and financial relationships with Hong Kong versus China. Under the Hong Kong Policy Act of 1992, and subsequent updates ahead of the 1997 transition, the U.S. explicitly committed to playing an active role in maintaining Hong Kong's confidence and prosperity, its role as an international financial center, and the mutually beneficial ties between the two powers. This commitment to maintain ties across a wide variety of industries has been the backbone of the relationship for almost 30 years and has helped Hong Kong maintain and grow its footprint in Asia over that time. So that provides some context on why Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's assertion last week that Hong Kong is no longer autonomous from China creates an immediate challenge for the Trump administration. Any sanctions, such as the ones being considered against China for human rights abuses of Muslim minorities, would likely need to be applied to Hong Kong as well if the administration is adhering to the terms of engagement now in place with mainland China. That position could then be adopted by other countries, which would cripple Hong Kong's ability to maintain its relevance and also dilute its value over time to communist China. The Hong Kong situation notwithstanding, the threat of another protracted trade tit-for-tat couldn't come at a worse time. U.S. manufacturers, which rely on Chinese inputs for production, are beginning to see improvement in their supply chains, creating optimism that the disruption experienced in February and March, although admittedly significant, could improve by the end of the second quarter. The potential for increased tariffs to compound significantly lower levels of revenues and earnings could prevent these companies from enjoying the full benefit of the reopening recovery in the global economy. In addition, the Chinese consumer is also slowly coming out of hibernation, And for companies like Nike, Tapestry, and Las Vegas Sands, the revival in China is likely to help insulate them somewhat against the drop they've experienced in U.S. activity. If there is any group of companies that stands to lose the most, it is technology names. Throughout 2018 and 2019, the ebb and flow of negotiations was reflected in the prices of tech stocks. Apple, NVIDIA, Qualcomm, Intel, Corning, and Broadcom all stand to see their profits squeezed by tariffs. While these companies have faced similar challenges over the last three months as it relates to lower levels of revenue and earnings, their stocks have actually performed better as investors have remained committed to the growth and momentum story, at least up through the last several days. So what happens next? 
In 2018 and 2019, investors sought exposure to domestic demand in order to help insulate their portfolios against the risk of higher costs of Chinese exports. Small cap names, consumer discretionary utility stocks, and REITs all benefited from those periodic shifts in sentiment. Now, domestic demand is not the best house on the block, though, and the relative valuation differential that is offered outside of the U.S. is very compelling. In addition, with the election on the horizon, could bailouts and inequality become the rallying cry on both sides of the aisle? Could this make mega cap companies who have grown larger and larger over the last several years, aided by a tax cut that they didn't necessarily look to funnel back into the U.S. economy, less attractive? Some investors may say this is just China 2.0 or 5.0 or 10.0, and that in the end it will be resolved to some extent. Both the U.S. and China have a lot to lose right now, with their economies severely hampered by the virus. As much as we might agree that there could be a very reasonable resolution in the near term, it seems unlikely that we will come to that conclusion without continued escalation. And with stocks seemingly well ahead of the economy and earnings already, the China situation could represent the reality check investors don't necessarily want to see, but perhaps are waiting for nonetheless. Thanks again for listening to this week's podcast. I want to encourage all of our clients to reach out to your Boston private team with any questions or concerns you may have. Providing guidance and support as your trusted advisor is our mission. If you have any questions or thoughts on my points today, you can find me on Twitter at Shannon Sakosha. You can also read our latest perspectives as the situation evolves by visiting bostonprivate.com. And if you want all of this information delivered right to your inbox, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletters there as well. Be sure to subscribe to the Boston Private Perspectives on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Spotify. And I look forward to coming to you once again from my home office next week. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.